What a wonderful truth. Exodus 14, we'll dismiss our children following Brother Baker, heading over to uh, the children's ministry during this time. Exodus chapter 14, we started a couple weeks ago with just um, trying to answer questions that I'll sometimes get in the office or in conversation or sitting uh, there on the couch in my office or just uh, somebody coming up and, and just describing their situation and asking a question. The question we looked at a couple weeks ago is, what do you do when you feel like giving up? And so we, we looked at that and then I thought of another question that is often asked and that is, what do you do when you need a miracle? And so we looked at that one. And here's another one, and uh, maybe it's not always worded exactly this way, but this is the way it's going tonight. And that is, what do you do when life caves in? What do you do when life just comes collapsing in on you? You ever feel that way? Have you ever experienced it? And if it's happened to you, then understand, take a little bit of relief, it's Happened to the greatest and most effective people. But I do think it's important that we understand a little bit about it, what to do when life caves in. We're going to look at Exodus chapter number 14. We'll pick up, uh, pick up our reading in verse 11. If you don't mind, before you get your seatbelt on, let's stand together, please, out of respect for the reading, preaching of God's Word tonight. And verse number 11, remember this is after they've come out of Egypt. This is the Red Sea experience coming up on that. And notice verse 11. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Notice verse 16. But lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. What to do when life caves in? Thank you. Please be seated. Maybe it happened when you felt that your life was just spiraling out of control. Maybe things all at the same time begin to collapse. Plans go wrong. Health goes wrong. Your hope goes wrong. And we seem to have just difficulty everywhere we look. It's sort of like when the light bulbs begin to go out in the house. They all seem to go out one after another. When everything seems to go wrong at the same time, the job, the kids, the family, the health, and the stress. 
And all of it begins to press in on us and life begins to cave in. I know sometimes in an age when we have switches that seem to control everything except our kids, we think this age is what makes us so stressful. It is true that we live in a stressful age, but the children of Israel also lived in a stressful time. We remember here in Exodus chapter 14, we have one of the most famous stories in all the Bible, the story of Moses and the children of Israel as they come to the Red Sea. They thought that they had made it. They thought that they graduated from hardship and difficulty, that everything before them was bright, their future was bright. And you remember just when they thought they had it made, it all caved in on them. All their hope, their dreams, their aspirations, their plans for a promised land seemed to slip away as their situation seemed to cave in. But remember, God led the Israelites on a unique route toward the promised land through the desert. The way God brought them was not the shortest route, nor was it the most direct route. But it was His plan for their life. Now that would have been through the land of the Philistines that God uh, had brought them by the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And it would have been a little over 100 miles, but God's ways are not our ways. Just when they thought they were out of bondage, Moses had led them out of Egypt, but they looked behind them and there's an army of the Egyptians pursuing them. Not just some people, but the army of the Egyptians. Now they not planned for that because Pharaoh had promised them that he would let them go and he would let Moses lead them out. And of course, again, God hardened Pharaoh's heart and changed his mind. And he says, I'm not going to let these slaves get away. I'm going to pursue them. I'm going to destroy them. And then they looked on either side of them. That is the nation of Israel. They saw the dust of the desert signaling that Pharaoh's army is close behind. They looked on one side, there were mountains. They looked on the other side, there were mountains. And they looked in front of them and there was nothing but a, an, a dead end. They're at a cul-de-sac. They're at a stopping point. No place to turn. No retreat, no turning back. The Red Sea's in front of them. And what happens? Well, we know this because verse 13, Moses addresses their fear. He says, fear ye not. Fear sets in. And I think one of the, the great dangers when the world in which we live, our life in which we experience, seems to cave in, fear sets in. And that is how it is when life caves in. Fear sets in. Fear. We went through a phase, a pandemic of fear. Fear is what hurt us more than a virus. Fear. What are you afraid of? What is it that immobilizes you? What is stealing your joy? What is destroying your hope? What is robbing you of sleep night after night? What keeps you from living by faith and being God's risk taker? What keeps you from giving your life wholly to a loving God who wants nothing but the best for you and has prepared the best for you? 
There are many who would wake up in the morning rather than jumping out of bed. They'd rather pull the blankets over their head because of the fear that grips them. Maybe your deepest fears lie at home. Maybe it's this month's mortgage payment. Maybe it's a marriage that seems shaky. Maybe it's your children that are worrying you. It seems to be on a weekly basis that there's someone I'm talking to, counseling with, praying with, because they feel like their life is falling apart in some way or another. If you've struggled with fear, you're not alone. Fear is not a respecter of people nor of age. It strikes the weak, it strikes the powerful. It haunts the young and it haunts the old, the rich and the poor. Even those who seem to have it all, including celebrities, have a strange array of phobias. I'm not going to give a lot, but just mention a few. Jennifer Aniston, Cher, Whoopi Goldberg are among those who have a fear, and it's known as um, aviophobes. It's a fear of flying. Fear of flying. Michael Jackson was haunted by the fear of contamination, infections, and diseases. Part of the reason we do not invest in lives of others is because we're gripped with fear. I'm going to give you another phobia. It makes no sense to read this except I want to say this word. It's one of the longest words in the dictionary. Hippopotomonstrosis quipped allophobia. It's one of the longest words in the dictionary, and the ironic twist is it's the name for a fear of long words. <laughs> you want me to spell it for you? Google it. Fear of our circumstances, fear of other people, it's never been commended by God. When Moses voiced his fear about entering the court of Pharaoh back in Exodus chapter 4 because he had a stammering tongue. You know, God didn't praise him for that. God didn't say, you are one humble man, Moses. No, because that's not humility. Listen, when we say, I can do all things, that's cockiness. When we say, I can't do anything, that's a lack of faith. However, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And that's confidence, and that's where God wants us to live. See, distrust in self, that's good. But it, it only is good if it leads to a real trust in God. Distrust in self that doesn't lead to trust in God is going to result in a spiritual paralysis. Fear often drives us to do erroneous things. It was when Saul feared his own people and the Philistines that 1 Samuel 13 verses 11 12 says that he forced himself to offer an erroneous offering. How often I have been driven to make fallacious choices because of internal fears. Vince Lombardi says fear makes cowards of us all. There's a sense of dread that overcomes a person when they're gripped with fear. And the Bible is clear that the fear of man, it causes a snare. It's like a, a landmine 
that, that, that occurs in your path whenever there's fear, Proverbs 29 and verse 25. And so notice in verse number 10 that when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And what did they cry about? Well, and basically the, the people complained. This was, we were better off before we ever had this come to God meeting. We were better off in Egypt as slaves. That's not the way God had intended his people to live. Yet they were thinking that was a better situation. And Moses answered the people, in essence, don't be afraid. Stand still. Watch what God's going to do. God is up to something in your life and mine. Even when life seems to be caving in, God is always up to something more. You say, well, there's got to be a point in time when there's no more. Paul on his death row, on, on, on death row, he knows his death is imminent. What could be better for Paul? He said in Philippians chapter 1, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yeah, when you're trusting in God, God always has more in store. I want you to see when life caves in, that paralyzing effect of fear. We're going to get to what to do when life caves in. But I do want us to notice a few things in the nation of Israel that happens when there is fear. So we're going to take a little bit more time on this because I believe that this helps us. I want you to see some things as to what fear does in our life. Number one, I want you to see that fear, when life caves in and fear sets in, Fear can make you skeptical. You just get skeptical about things that are right. The first thing that fear does, it makes us skeptical. We become very cynical. Notice the, the stinging, sarcastic remark that they make to Moses in verse number 11. Moses, were there no graves in Egypt? Moses, I don't think you planned this very well, but um, we need to inform you things were better back then. If you're going to just bring us here to die, why didn't you just do so back there? I mean, if we wanted to be killed by the Egyptians, we could have been killed back there and saved us a little bit of energy. Why did you bring us out here? You didn't have our best interest in, at heart, did you, Moses? You see, they, they very subtly begin to show that they doubted the leadership actually of God. Because they doubted the leadership of Moses. I found this interesting. Notice in verse 10, the Bible says that the people, well, I want you to look at it. When Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto who? The Lord. The Lord. But notice in verse 11. And then verse 11 says, they said unto who? Moses. See, the Bible says they cried out to God in verse 10. Then verse 11 says they cried out to Moses. In other words, to cry out to God and then to complain against Moses was the same thing as complaining against God. Listen, young people, when you complain to your parents, when we complain to each other, we're in essence complaining against God. Isn't God still good all the time and all the time God good? 
So the first thing that fear does is it makes us skeptical. Number two, fear makes us not only skeptical, but selfish. We get selfish. What happened whenever fear set in, their world was falling apart and life was caving in? Well, they began to blame their problems on somebody else. There in the desert, in the wilderness, they began to find a scapegoat, somebody else to blame for their problems. When life caves in, you begin to look for somebody else to blame. Think to yourself, well, it's really not my fault. It's my spouse's fault. They're the ones who had the bright idea in the first place. Or you blame the government. Or you blame a friend or a business partner, somebody else. You begin to look for a scapegoat. There was a book published a number of years ago entitled Looking Out for Number One. You know what? It was a book on (laughs) self-confidence. Now, I believe God wants us to have confidence, but not in self, but rather in Him. God does not want us to have confidence in ourself. That statement, looking out for number one, is really a selfish statement. It's really a statement of fear. It says, I'm insecure. Nobody's going to take care of me. You're not going to take care of me. I'm going to have to take care of myself. Well, if you're a Christian, there is somebody who's going to take care of you if you'll let him, and his name is God. Amen. Try that one again. If you're a child of God, there is someone who's going to take care of you if you will let him, and his name is God. Amen. So when you think life is caved in and To accuse others many times is the same thing as accusing God. We're saying, God, you're not really doing a good job as being God. God, you've allowed this to happen to me. And as Christians, we don't want to say that. We may not say it in those kinds of words. But when we start feeling the blame setting in on somebody else, we're actually blaming God. Now get that down. We blame other people where we are really blaming God because if God is in control, if God is sovereign, then we are saying, God, if you would have wanted to, you could have kept me from experiencing this or that person from doing this in my life. God, you failed. You dropped the ball. It's a very selfish thing when fear sets in and it paralyzes us Because as long as we're blaming others, we're not going to look for the solution to the problem that we're in. We're only looking out for what we want or what we believe to be our need. Fear. Another thing that it does is it makes us stubborn. Makes us skeptical. It makes us selfish. But it also makes us stubborn. Notice in verse number 12. Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. They're saying, Moses, we told you, we told you back there, let us alone. Just leave us alone. Let us take care of ourselves. We told you this was going to happen. That's really not only a skeptical attitude and a selfish attitude, but there's really stubbornness in there. In other words, they're saying, don't, don't, don't try to change us. No, no, don't, you do what you want to, Moses. You do your part, but, but for me, don't, don't try to change me. Remember, we, we, we've 
lost people. And we, there are people that we did not gain simply because they believed this is my life. No one's going to tell me what to do. You're not, God's not. We'll call on God when we want to call on God. I want to tell you, I believe that there's real reason to bring doubt and question one's salvation when they feel that God doesn't have a right to their body. What right does God have to tell me what to do? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with the price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are His. I'll tell you why God has a right to tell you what to do. is because, one, He created you, and two, if you're saved, he purchased you back from the slave market of sin. But stubbornness sets in. And stubbornness many times is a result of fear. They're saying, well, we should have stayed back. I should have never attempted this. We forget that nothing worthwhile is ever easy or ever comes quickly. And that's what the children of Israel had forgotten. They forgot that God had given them a great promise. They forgot that God had a land and a life for them. And they forgot that they used to be slaves. They were saying, okay, God, um, we want a better life. We want to cooperate with your plan. We don't want to be in Egypt. God sent a deliverer, a human deliverer. God is the ultimate deliverer. God sent them leadership and God brought them out of Egypt. And after they get out and life caves in on them, now they say, well, I think we should have stayed back there. We didn't think this was going to work out anyway. It wasn't a good idea. No one ever thought this was a good idea. You know, that's what the devil loves to do. He loves to come into those low moments, those dark moments in your life and say, you should have never attempted this in the first place. You should have just stayed back where you were. But why? Because he doesn't want you to experience the so much more that God has in store. The favorite phrase of people when things do not go right or go their way and when there's fear set into their heart and they're stubborn, it's, you've never done it this way before. And they're really hoping it fails so they can say, see, we told you it's better to stay in Egypt. You know, remember, it was good in Egypt, wasn't it? You remember being beaten by the taskmasters? You remember the times we cried out in pain and distress? Oh, it was good in Egypt. They became very obstinate. They became very stubborn. They became bullheaded. You know, when somebody stands up and says, this is not going to work out. This building program isn't going to work. This mediated learning process isn't going to work. This education system that we have here under the, the umbrella of the church is not going to work. This, this new choir piece is not going to work. You know, it's oftentimes a person who is gripped with fear and insecurity and they become stubborn. And what they're really saying, but they're not saying when they say in the face of leadership who says, this is what we're going to do. And they say, it's not going to work. Here's what they're saying. I'm afraid 
I'm too insecure to leave where I am and to trust God and obey and get on the same page as God and trust the promises of God and watch Him work. That's really what they're saying. I'll say amen. I know good preaching when I hear it. Amen, that's right. You're just sitting there thinking, have I said that? I may have said that before, so I don't want to amen too much. Well, then say, oh, me. Either one. you got to do something. Someone already told Dr. Zare, people fall asleep, pastor claps his hands. No, I'm just going to throw a hymnal at you. That's what I'm going to do. There's more than one ways to skin a cat and wake up somebody. If I put you to sleep, it's only fair that I wake you up. And so it's easy to say at the beginning, um, we want to do this. We're going to trust God. And it's also easy when life caves in rather than staying on the plane of faith just to say as a stubborn, bullheaded, unbelieving mindset, oh, I knew we shouldn't have tried this in the first place. I'll tell you another thing fear does. Number four, it makes us short-sighted. Short-sighted. Remember what they said? We've already mentioned it several times. It had been better for us to stay slaves in Egypt. That's a statement of short-sightedness. Why? Because of fear. I want you to examine that statement. It would be better for us to die, verse number 11. It would be better for us to die in the wilderness. Really? <laughs> that would be better than watching God work? Well, you know what happens is we become short-sighted and we always think that the past is better than today. There's a great danger of that. You know why that is? Because our short-sightedness has made us forget how difficult the past was. And Brother Caldwell reminded me when coming, he said, just know, Brother Ingram, he said, this is the way it works. There are people who hated me. They will love you because you're not me. And then there are people who are going to think the best days were in the past. Not because they even love you or love me, but they just, they don't want change. And he's simply saying that fear and stubbornness and short-sightedness, it can grip us into saying, I don't know about this matter of trusting God. I can't see in front of me, but I know it sure was good back there. Oh, I, I thought he was a drunk and beating you every night. Oh, but it was so much better than trying to trust God to provide for me and make it through and doing the right thing. Oh, I, I thought the drug addiction was was tearing your life apart, but it was still so much better than trusting God? It's short-sightedness. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I just as soon die in the desert as live as a slave in the wilderness or in Egypt. I don't know that I want to go back and endure slavery. I, I think I'd take my chances and just die right there at the Red Sea. If nothing else happened, I just would like to be able to do that then go back and serve under being beaten and whipped and bondage. I mean, what's so good about living as a slave? But we do the same thing. We do the same thing when life seems to cave in and we're short-sighted and we look at the past and we say, boy, how wonderful it was back then. Throughout the years, we've had problems in the past, just like there will always be problems in the future. I mean, it wasn't perfect back then either. And your back then may be further back than my back then, but the fact is, there's always been problems. 
What they're saying is, well, back then we did not have to worry about where our meals came from. The Egyptians provided our meals. We didn't have to worry about what we were going to do every day. The Egyptians told us what to do. What they were saying is, we didn't have to trust God. We were slaves. We were not even free. But do you know that God wants you to be free? Free to serve Him. Why is it Why was it wonderful back then and back when? Because of short-sightedness. That's an expression of fear. It's fear. Fear can make you selfish, stubborn, skeptical. It can make you short-sighted. But then what's the answer? The answer is simple. Fear is conquered through faith. And not just having faith. Everybody has faith. James chapter 2 tells us that the devils believe. But it's not delivering them. It's not faith that's the answer. It's faith in God. Here were people who had just gotten out of bondage and, and now they're back into bondage. Bondage because of fear. Life caves in. Fear sets in. In Egypt, they were in bondage to the Egyptians. But here at the Red Sea, they're in bondage to themselves. They were in bondage to their own fear because of the circumstances. They're saying there's no hope. And it causes them to say all kinds of things they would not have otherwise said. Bob Beale, a man that I have been reading a lot about lately and has spent some time with, he says that, that whenever fog sets in into a person's life, fog, when you can't see clear, it's like going down the interstate. When you're going 75 miles an hour down the interstate, but fog sets in, you're not in a heavy fog. You're not going 75 miles an hour. You slow down and you slow down to whatever speed you are comfortable at traveling because you can't see. But when there's fog in our life, it leads us to fatigue. And fatigue sets in. You get tired. You're trying to focus. You're trying to get your way through. And you're going at a very slow uh, pace. And, and fatigue sets in. And when there's fog and fatigue, it leads to flirting. Flirting with ideas that we would have never entertained before. Yeah, Quitting. It was better back then than it is going forward with God. The answer is faith in God. Remember, God is the one who made a road through the sea. God is the one who led them on the journey to that spot. The Lord said to Moses in verse 15, notice, the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. So when life caves in, you don't need reasons you don't need some answers. You need someone. And Jesus is that someone. He's not an answer. He's the answer for all of our trials. Now notice the liberating effect of faith. If we're going to conquer by faith over fear, here's a few things about it in specificity. Number one, know God's word. Know the word of God. Get into your Bible. Stop Stop with this, this, this crumb of God's word today. Saturate yourself in the Bible. What did God say in, uh, uh, in verse number 15? God said, tell the Israelites, tell them what I've said. 
God's word, know God's word, remember God's word. Solomon reminded us that every prudent man acts out of knowledge. Get the facts, get a hold of truth, embrace the truth. The truth is what liberates when you embrace it. We have Bibles that have dust on them. And many times we have all the answers right there and information. And yet we'll say, I don't know how to read it. I don't know how to understand it. I don't know what to do with it. And yet that's the answer. And God has been telling us all along what to do. You want to conquer fear. You need faith in God. Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Proverbs chapter three, verse five says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. Now, what did God's people do in Exodus 14? They leaned unto their own understanding. Well, the way I see it, the way we see it, and there's a lot of us, Moses, we see it this way. What did they see? They saw the obstacles. They saw the disaster. They saw they were outnumbered. They saw this isn't going to work. They saw we cannot live another day this way. They saw life caving in. But you know what God said? In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. If we didn't have the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, if we didn't have the rest of the story given to us by the word of God, we would have no hope. But because God is alive, his word is forever settled in heaven, why don't we trust his word? He's never failed. God's never lied. He's never even said, uh-oh. One of the kids say, uh-oh. Yeah, we don't wait to find out what it is. Because we know the longer that it soaks in, it's going to be harder to get out. You know, when you have the right information, it can be liberating. So, number one, know God's word. Know what, what is it that God God told them what to do. Number two, commit to God. Trust God, period. I mean, this is, we're talking about commitment here. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. See, if you're going to sit here and say, I'm going to wait and see if God does something here. Army back here, mountains here, sea here. We're going to wait and see what God does, and then we'll get back to you, Moses. It's not going to work. Remember, God's not a game show host. You don't make a deal with God. You don't barter with him. This is not, uh, God, you do it, then we will believe. No, this is you believe and then you'll see. Commit to God. When life begins to cave in, God simply says, trust me. What do we do? Trust him. God's going to expect us to trust him. Remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, in all that, go back verse 5, trust in the Lord with how much of our heart? All thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. Why? Because if we lean into our own understanding, all I can see are the trials, the obstacles, life caving in. Lean not to our own understanding. Why? Because I am prone to quit. I'm prone to wonder. I'm prone to to question God. I'm prone to blame others. I'm prone to get selfish and skeptical and stubborn. And so what God says to do is don't lean into your own understanding. Understanding. However, verse 6, Proverbs 3, in all thy ways acknowledge him. Well, how many of our ways? Well, I, I went to church Wednesday night. I went to church on Sunday. I tithe. And um, 
I mean, but, you know, there's, there's a few other things. I know God wants me to do, but I'm not going to forgive my brother. And I'm not going to make that right. I'm not, I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to. Don't expect God to go all the way for you. Hey, how would you like it if God opened up the Red Sea only part way? So God says, in all of your ways, acknowledge him. And I think he can take care of his part. And he should direct thy path. Commit to God. And God said, I'm going to do something for you. Know the promises of God. Totally get all in, all in, all in. Our southern Christianity it's still this, we just dabble. We're more loyal to tradition than we are to truth. Get all in with truth and God over tradition. Number next, pray. Pray. Do you know what the children of Israel did before they left Egypt? They prayed. They had a time with God called a Passover. And this was a time that God reminded them of who he was and what he went through for them, the cost of redemption. So they took that blood of a perfect lamb, they put it on the doorpost of their home so that when the death angel came to take the firstborn of every home in Egypt, he'd pass over them and their children would be redeemed. God is saying, I'm giving you the Passover. I want you to observe the Passover and eat the unleavened bread and eat the flesh of the lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and remember me. And remember, I am the one who gives life. I'm the one who delivers you from the death angel. I'm the one who sustains life. And as they ate the flesh of the lamb, they would remember God. They had gone out of Egypt, but now they'd forgotten to pray. They forgot God's word, what God told them to do, and they failed to depend upon God. And so in preparation, they failed to pray. You know why we have prayer meetings? And I don't think we pray as often as we should. But one of the reasons we have Saturday morning, 8 a.m., 45 men show up to pray whether we feel like it or not, is because that's what we do when life is going well and that's what we do when life is caving in because praying is a reminder, I need God. That's why we have prayer meeting on, on Saturday nights at 7 p.m. And I'm thankful for the 40 and 50 that show up there. And, you know, and I haven't found, I just have not found a convenient time to pray. I haven't. I haven't found where it's convenient. But I don't think God ought to be a God of convenience. But we pray because we need Him. Here's another one. What's this letter D under five, number five? And this goes hand in hand with committing, but it's trust God. No, trust Him. Trust Him. Let me ask you, do you trust God more than you fear the storm? Or do you fear your storm more than you trust God? Let me say it again. Do you trust God more than you fear your storm? Or do you fear the storm more than you trust God? 
John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, said, If the Lord be with us, we have no cause of fear. Even death, Matthew Henry said, He whose head is in heaven need not fear to put his feet into the grave. Why? Because when you know Jesus, you know everyone and everything that is needed to be known. There is no one greater. There is no Savior. There is no Deliverer. There is no other rock like our Savior, our Deliverer, and our rock. Let me ask you, do you know Jesus to be your personal Savior? You've come to church, but have you come to Jesus? There's a difference between religion and having a relationship. To many a person, when life caves in, they will say, this life I'm living is hell here upon earth. And I want to say, the life that one is living here, when life caves in, this life is the only hell. Christians will ever know. But for those who die in your sins without Jesus, there's a greater hell that you're going to experience. It's a literal hell separated from God and His love. You need Jesus to be your personal Savior. You think it's bad here. Wait till you take your last breath without Jesus. Wait till your heart stops ticking and you don't get a do-over. You don't get another moment. You don't get a replay. And that's why today's the day of salvation. And that's why if there's any question in your heart, any question in your mind as to where you'll spend an eternity or whether Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, get it dealt with now. Trust God. What shall a man do to be saved? Asked the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. The answer was believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Trust him for your salvation. But Paul says in Colossians 2, 6, the way you get saved is the way we live even when life is falling apart. As you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, he says, so walk ye in him. And give you another one. Notice in verse 15, the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me, speak unto the children of Israel, that they, say the next two words, go forward. go forward. Here it is. I should have just used those two words, but number next, letter E, get going. Get going. Do we have letter E? I didn't give you letter E. That's my fault. But letter E, get going. After you've, you've set out and after you have um, understood that fear is gripping you, know God's word. What does God want you? What does God say? God has an opinion about everything. Commit yourself to God in all of your ways. Acknowledge him. Pray. Cast your dependence upon God. Trust God more than you fear the storm. Trust him. And then get going. Get after it. Take action. Launch out. Move out from where you are. When life caves in, you seem to be stymied and you seem to be getting nowhere. Find out what God wants you to do through prayer, intimacy with him in his presence. Then initiate action. What is it that you already know to do, but you're not doing? It may be prayer itself. It may be time with God in his word. It may be daily fellowship with God. There comes a time when you have to take action. And Moses told them, God told me to tell you, get going, get after it. No, there's a time to pray, yes. 
But one of the great dangers is the two extremes in our religious war. We've got some churches that emphasize prayer, uh, 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 intimacy with God, and no obedience. And you've got others that just stay busy, do this and do that and do this and do this. And, and we get into this, do, do I trust or do I obey? Yes, yes, yes. I trust him to enable me to obey. But I can't and should not obey without trusting him. But when I trust him, I experience enabling power to be what I ought to be. Power to do what I could not do. And then I take a step as Peter did, out of the boat. I can't do it. No, you can't. No, you can't. And he never said you could, but he can. He will. He always said he would. God is saying, Moses, will you quit praying and get the people moving forward? March, get going. I want to end with this because I want you to take this home with you. You may be at a point tonight where it seems pointless, fruitless to go forward. It's easy. I know it can get motivation when I say go forward, get after it, go after it. And maybe some young person will go home, pack their bags because they're going to leave home and say because the pastor said go after it. And, and, um, we can get very motivated sometimes. But maybe you're at a point where it seems pointless. Maybe it seems fruitless to go for. Maybe it's because you're praying for something God has not given you. Maybe it's because you have had some big disappointment. Maybe it's because you're facing some problems with health that the doctors say are hopeless and you say, well, what's the point in serving and obeying God if this is all I have? I want you to see that when the children of Israel were there, right there, and they said, we should never be here. We should have stayed back there and they're complaining to God, complaining to leadership. God said, go forward, go forward. And this is what I'm leaving you with. That's what faith is all about. And when you look and see where they were, it made no sense to go forward. What did they have go, to go forward to? They were at a cul-de-sac. They couldn't go forward. But if God said to go forward, then yes, they could. But I can't see it. And you probably won't until you trust him and obey. Don't go forward without the clear command of God or you take responsibility. And you might very well drown. But when God says go forward, then you can trust him. Why? Because he'll liberate you. He'll set you free. And he'll put on the power of God for display better than any firework display you've ever seen. Just a few reminders of what to do when life caves in. Let's stand together, please.